Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Chasen. Michael is the co-founder and VP of Trio Partnerships at Nucleus. He is also a strategic advisor to Clio and was previously the general manager of Clio Grow, Clio's industry-leading client intake and legal CRM platform. Prior to joining Clio, Michael held the role of CEO at Lexicarta, which he founded in 2014. As CEO, he led the company to be successfully acquired by Clio in 2018. Michael has a BSBA in business from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and a JD and MBA from Loyola Law School and Loyola Marymount University, respectively. He currently resides in Los Angeles, California, and frequently speaks about legal technology and client intake. So a very, very warm welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Rob. Happy to be here. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And before we dive into all your amazing projects and experiences to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the show, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, four? <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, a lot, a lot of drama. I feel like most, uh, not a lot of secretary interaction and all. You know, uh, yeah, it's, I don't, I wouldn't consider it too real. Yeah, fair enough. And I think a valid four. And with that, we will move swiftly on. So, to begin with, Michael, would you mind telling us a bit about your background and and journey? Yeah. Um, so, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, kind of started my first businesses at a really ripe young age. Um, I remember the first kind of business venture I got into. I have two older brothers that are three and six years older, respectively. And um, I remember we uh, around Christmas time. Do you remember those Tickle Me Elmos? I don't know if you had those in the in the UK. But we had those Tickle Me Elmo things back in like maybe the early 90s. And uh, my brothers and I decided to go buy a bunch of Tickle Me Elmos, and then I would go at the line in Best Buy since I was the youngest, cute one. Uh, and I would go around and I would sell them, and they, you know, retailed for I think they were maybe like you know thirty bucks a pop or something. And I'd sell them the night before Christmas for like a hundred bucks a pop, and that was kind of the first business venture we got into. And then I did a bunch of things when I was younger. I started like a car washing business in high school. And then in college, I had like a event promotion business and I started my own chapter of a fraternity. So I kind of have a a long line of entrepreneurship. Um, And then I decided to go off and do my law and MBA at Loyola, as you mentioned here in Los Angeles. And that was kind of like my first foray into really, um, you know, I don't know, leveling things up from what I was capable of doing. So uh, when I was in my second year of law school, that's when I started Lexicata uh, with a, a business partner who was a, a friend of mine from law school. And that was kind of the the journey of kind of getting me to the genesis of, of where Lexicata was. And that was in 2000, like you said, I think we started in 2012 and then we pivoted to Lexicata in 2014. Yeah, it's such a super exciting journey. And uh, I definitely believe entrepreneurs are born, not made. And just listening to what you're saying there, it's definitely been in your in your blood. And you initially, as you mentioned, studied uh, business administration and entrepreneurship at the University of Carolina. So what were your experiences there? And, and why did you choose to study business and entrepreneurship? 
Yeah, I loved uh, University of North Carolina was amazing. Um, they had a really, really good undergrad business program. That's a big reason I chose that school. A lot of programs will just have an econ major or something, but they had a specific two-year business degree, which was basically a mini MBA in hindsight. Having done my MBA later, frankly, it was just as good as, as getting an MBA, which was um, pretty spectacular. Um, I chose to study business and entrepreneurship because I knew eventually I wanted to run my own show. I would mentioned I had some experience doing some small businesses in high school and in middle school, and I always just really enjoyed it. Uh, my parents, to some extent, are entrepreneurs as well, um, and my grandparents even as well. So my, grand, my grandfather had started a pawn shop in Columbus, Ohio, um, you know, and ran it for about 50 years. So I was always kind of around you know, entrepreneurship and, you know, wasn't the most glorious business. You know, you obviously, um, you know, uh, dealt with a kind of interesting area of, of the world when you're, when you're dealing with pawning items. And then, uh, and my parents are both real estate agents. So they're kind of entrepreneurs within their own right. Um, you know, they're more salespeople, but they have to run their own business and manage their own budget and, and things like that. So, um, and then my oldest brother is also an entrepreneur and, you know, my middle brother is also an entrepreneur. So it kind of just, you know, runs in our family and, and, and and that's always what interested me. Yeah, absolutely. Surrounded by uh, entrepreneurs and definitely in the in the family. I love that. And you mentioned obviously in 2010, I think you went to uh, Loyola Law School and you obtained your your JD there. And you know what stemmed your your real interest in the law? Yeah, I don't really know to be perfectly honest. Looking <laughs> back, um, I I remember I came out of school in 2009. Um, and that was when the Great Recession had started here in the United States. And I was going to go into either investment banking or consulting. So that's kind of where I saw my journey potentially going into was finance. And uh, all the jobs basically got pulled away. Um, a lot of my friends lost their job offers. And for me, to be perfectly honest, I kind of struggled to get a job, even though I had really good grades and came from a great school and was in the business school because of my resume. Um, everyone, I remember getting to the final round of an interview with this company called Cintas, who you might know. Um, and they, uh, when I, I didn't get the job and I asked them, you know, why not? And they basically told me, I don't think you're going to be here in three years. I think you're going to start your own business and you're a great candidate, but like we're grooming people to be long-term managers here. We don't believe you're going to be here. And I was like, you're right. I'm not going to. <laughs> um, so uh, so um, that was kind of like an eye-opening thing. So I, I worked at a um, law firm in, Los, in Beverly Hills for a year. And I basically decided this is pretty cool. I enjoy this stuff. And I always saw this as kind of like an avenue towards a different kind of career. I never thought I was going to be like a career litigator or anything like that. I just thought learning how to run my own business, learning how to think, learning how to analyze would be really helpful. I figured I'd jump into a startup as like in-house counsel and then eventually get involved in management in the in the startup or start my own. And that's, you know, obviously not exactly how it went in actuality, but that was kind of um, the goal. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that the recession was kind of killing jobs and there weren't a lot of other opportunities. Yeah, it, it reminds me, actually, when uh, I went for one of my first interviews, one of my early jobs, and uh, 
I got rejected by a company called uh, Procter & Gamble over here, and I was rejected because I wasn't good enough. <laughs> so yeah. not quite the same yeah. as you, Michael. Well, I, got <laughs> you, I got you worse. The first job I ever applied to uh, was Coffee Bean, uh, which is like a like a little baby brother Starbucks, and, and they rejected me too. And I remember that really pissed me off, and I told my mom, I'm like, I'm like they're going to regret that one. And I don't think they regret it that much, but uh, I think they're fine. Well, I, I would argue different. You've achieved a tremendous amount. And as we, we work through, because I believe you're also a, a law clerk at Matson and Margulies, I think ALC, and at the Department of Justice Office of the US trustee. So tell us about some of your responsibilities there and what skill did you skills did you learn along the way? Yeah. Um, so, so the Madison and Margulies, that was the Beverly Hills firm that I was mentioning. That was my gap year between when I was taking LSAT uh, for law school. Um, that one was uh, mostly personal injury and a little bit of employment. Um, I actually had a lot of responsibility. That was like kind of my dad's second cousin. So it was, you know, um, someone who I knew in the family, but not super, super close with um, at the time became close. And so she actually gave me a lot of responsibility. I was writing memos. We were going to court together. Um, she was really giving me a lot in hindsight for a, you know, a 22 year old kid with no experience. Um, so I was writing motions for summary judgment. I was doing a lot of really cool things. I was really, really valuable um, client interviews, client intake calls, those types of things. And then first year law school, I got a job at the U.S. trustee um, bankruptcy court, basically. Um, so I was doing a lot of um, like analyzation of the cases to see whether they were eligible for bankruptcy. I was doing a bunch of memos, um, you know, those types of things. Frankly, pretty boring. I didn't really enjoy it that much, but I did have my own office. And oftentimes I would take naps in my office because I had a door with no windows to the, the office. So, uh, but I did not enjoy that job. And that was kind of my first foray into realizing this is not really for me as like a day-to-day -day career. I really enjoy the substance of law. I didn't enjoy the daily practice of it. Yeah, no, and thanks for, for sharing that. And yeah, big advocate for the nap. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned that as, 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 as well. And you were previously, you know, the co-founder and CEO of Lex Carter, which was focusing on client intake and client onboarding for law firms, customer relationship and law firm software. So for people less familiar, what exactly is client intake and client onboarding and why does it matter for law firms? Yeah, so I think there are two parts to client intake, I, at least for the lay, lay person. I think there's law firm sales and then law firm like client onboarding, right? So part one is kind of you know, what happens when someone first contacts you, right? Are you following up with them? What are you sending them? What are you asking them for? That types of things. And then the client onboarding element is something specific, not to lawyers, but I would say service professionals, right? Imagine you go to, you know, get a massage, right? What do they ask you? What are you allergic to any oils? Are you like, where's your bag? Where's your pain? Is it in your neck, shoulders, back, legs? Where do you want to, you know, focus on? Kind of the same concept, right? A lawyer is going to ask you, so tell me about your legal matter, tell me where you live, your address, your social security number, all that kind of stuff. So there's kind of two elements. One's kind of the paperwork side and the other one's kind of more of the sales side. Um, lawyers really hate that word sales, but I, I'm gonna, I've been hammering at home for the last decade and I feel like it's starting to work because now people are starting to less be offended by being called salespeople. Um, but those are kind of the two aspects of, of client intake that, that I kind of break it down to. 
Yeah, and thanks for, for sharing that. And absolutely, I know sales is potentially deemed a, a dirty word, but selling is ultimately serving if you're providing the right product. So um, I look at it that way. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you then decided to set up uh, Lexicata? Yeah, um, you know, not so quick story turned into a quick story. So when I had a um, in law school, my second year, when I was uh, starting to work with my co-founder, Aaron George, who's a brilliant individual, um, him and I had started working on a, um, a marketplace for lawyers, right? So basically, kind of, I don't know what they have in the UK, but something here like a TaskRabbit or a, a Thumbtack or an Odesk or something like that, um, kind of, you know, some you know, basically, where can you go to find and hire a lawyer, right? Um, and... We were working on that for a little while. We basically, you know, we were actually starting to get some traction. We were getting people coming to use the website and we were sending them to the lawyers. And then we realized two problems were occurring. Number one was as soon as the person would um, connect with a lawyer, the lawyer would send them a ton of paperwork to get done and the clients hated it. And the second aspect was we would send these clients to lawyers and the lawyers would basically message them once. And if they didn't reply on their own volition, they would never talk, they would never reach out again. And so we reached out and we were like, why is this conversion rate so, so low? We're getting people who I know need a lawyer and don't have a lawyer right now. And why are only like 10 or 20% of them getting connected? And we basically figured out the lawyers have a really crappy sales process, right? They would have, uh, in fact, not just crappy, non-existent, right? The lawyers would say, hey, I have no way of following up with people. I don't remember who they are. I'm really busy, yada, yada, yada. So we basically said, hey, if we built something for you, would you use it? More to fix the platform, right? If we built like a backend operating platform for our platform. And they said, yeah, I would use it. And so we kind of ventured down this road as kind of like a supplemental tool to assist our marketplace. And we thought, you know, hey, maybe lawyers would pay five or 10 bucks a month. When we did a survey, that's all they were willing to pay in the survey. And as we slowly started building this platform, we realized the platform is far more valuable than the marketplace itself. And that's kind of where Lexicata came to be. And that's why we set up Lexicata was to help the marketplace. And then it kind of pivoted into its own business within itself. Yeah, and it's been hugely successful. And as you know, Lexicata is now part of the, the Clio family and no more widely as Clio grow. Time for a quick break from the show. Are you a legal aid practitioner in England and Wales, specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters? If you are, this message is for you. As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month, particularly when it comes to end of month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's Clio, C-L-I-O dot com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. Now back to the show. Can you tell us more about the partnership with Clio and why you and Lex Carter went down that route? 
Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty easy decision. Um, again, I didn't have a ton of law firm experience. I had worked at the, the personal injury firm for a year. I'd worked at the um, Department of Justice for a semester. And then I also had a job doing business management, which was also some legal aspect as well. But I didn't have a ton of experience. And so I didn't really know what the day-to-day operations really look like from a software capacity. Um, But it became painfully obvious that Clio was kind of the cat's pajamas when it came to to legal technology. And I don't know if it was because they were just popular, because I'm not so sure at the time they were like the most popular by a long shot like they are today. Um, I think it was... The fact that the most innovative lawyers who are willing to try our software were also the innovative lawyers who are looking to try new tools like Clio, right? And so this was in 2014. Uh, Once we started onboarding users, they went, wow, this is awesome. I really like this. How can I easily get the information from here into our practice management software called Clio? And then once we heard of a couple people mentioning this, we we're like, okay, maybe we should look at this. And we looked at Clio, um, and we looked at a few of them, um, but we looked at Clio, and Clio was the only one who had an API. They had, um, for those who don't know, API is basically like a, a technology connector that allows you to plug into their app really easily, right? And so we basically, that was one of the first things we did was we built this API to Clio, and I think we were like the sixth or seventh API connection that they had. It was really early in the process. And um, that was a big reason is a lot of our clients were using Clio, so we felt it was necessary. And by the time it was all said and done, out of the thousands of firms who were using Lexicata, uh, almost a majority of them were Clio customers. So that became a really big part of our journey. And then it kind of snowballed because we had such a good Clio connection. A lot of Clio users ended up coming to us because they knew it was such a good integration. Yeah, and it's such a such a positive story and such a clear synergy there that you, you you highlight. And you know, Clio Grow now is available to law firms all around the world, which is just simply incredible. So, can you explain more about the impact Clio Grow is having and how law firms operate? Yeah, I'm very proud now that I'm you know uh, you know call it three and a half years removed from the acquisition and you know ten years removed from starting. Law kick, and then eight years removed from Lexicata getting off the ground. I've seen such a fundamental shift, and I don't know how much we can take credit for it versus it's just happening natural, naturally. But I do not believe um, people were focusing on client intake or sales at all before we came along. There were some fledgling little businesses that existed that were focused on intake, but nothing that was widespread. Um, so I think the most important thing that Clio Grow has done is really just bring knowledge and awareness to the forefront of sales and client intake. I think that was the kind of the last frontier of legal. What had already begun was, you know, there were payment processing that was that was going well, right? There was client there there was practice management and billing that was going well. But nobody was worried about the first part of the journey, which in my opinion is arguably the most important, right? First impression lasts forever. Why is that the crappiest part of your process is the first thing you talk to them. So I think that's really what it did what and what it's doing is bringing the idea of like customer service, um, client onboarding, sales and marketing to the forefront of law firms. Majority of 10 years ago, majority of firms were 
were not doing marketing. And if they were, they were kind of just buying some ads and just taking some calls and putting them in spreadsheets and things like that. There was nothing sophisticated that, that people were using until we came along, you know, obviously with the exception of other tools and other industries that were kind of, you know, mishmashed along to kind of um, work for legal. Yeah, and it's it's so fascinating how how you were so early. You know, you're ahead of the curve, and it's definitely that entrepreneurial spirit and and flair that you, you you have. And I guess sticking with you know law firms, you know, what are some of the common problems you see law firms having to contend with when it comes to that sort of client intake and client onboarding? And, and what advice would you give to them to particularly tackle those problems? Yeah, I think the most common problems is they don't pay attention to it um, at the at its core. Um, I think a lot of people will look at, you know, I, I, I kind of invented this saying years ago um, that, you know, uh, law firms are, you know, or lawyers are, you know, sorry, I can't, I can't remember now. It's a, but basically it's like law firms are lawyers who happen to be running a business rather than business people who happen to be running a law firm, right? And there's a distinct difference, right? Had I gone and started my own firm, I would have been a business person who was running a law firm. Most people I go to law school with me suck at math. They never really took business classes. They were philosophy majors or English majors. They weren't econ and business majors, typically, not always. And so a lot of, a lot of the people running firms, like don't go into a firm for the, you know, really, really understanding business and how it works. So I think the biggest thing is just understand that exists and that sales is the lifeblood of your firm, right? I don't care how good you are as a lawyer, most people don't know from Adam whether you're good or not, right? Like, especially if you're a business transactional lawyer, like nobody's, you know, calling their friend being like, you should see this document that my lawyer drafted. It is a work <laughs> of art. Like they don't care, right? They All they want to do is, did, they, did I get sued or not? And frankly, they won't know if you're a good lawyer until five or 10 years down the road when they do get sued and then your uh, document protects them or not, right? So I think a lot of people overestimate how much their legal abilities really impacted the, the, the success of their business. I know a lot of not great lawyers who have really successful businesses, and it's not because the the lawyer, the legal aspect is because of the business. So I think that's one of the most common problems I see um, in general. In terms of client intake, I think it's just the biggest problem I see is uh, paper-driven experiences and not focusing on what the client experience really talks about. You know, Jack Newton, our CEO uh, and founder of Clio, uh, he always, he wrote a book called The Client-Centered Law Firm, which is, you know, uh, spectacular. I would encourage everyone to read it. And really just the genesis and the, and the, the core of that book is just what do your clients want, right? Like look at Amazon. They have the best customer experience. Look at Uber, at least before they went public, they had a really good customer experience. If you treat your customers well, they will refer you, they will come back to you and they will use you. And I think that's what a lot of law firms don't focus on is they're not transparent. They don't make things easy on the customer. They're just all about the case, which is which is, you know, I would say noble and great, but that's not going to help you put food on the table. That's just going to, you know, help you accomplish that goal. And it has to be a little bit of both. Yeah, and it's such great points. And it, it kind of echoes what I talk a lot about in terms of, you know, lawyers absolutely 
it should be a given that you can do the law. It's the stuff around the edges that really counts. You know, those people skills, it's looking after them, it's showing that service, all of the things that really, really kind of set you apart. And you've just hit the nail on the head there for some of those 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 common things that see time and time again. So thanks so much for, for highlighting that. And you are now obviously a strategic advisor to Clio, which is super cool. So what is a strategic advisor and what does your role involve? Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of do a number of different things. One of them are podcasts and, and, and kind of just, you know, um, spreading the gospel that is client intake, still doing the things that, you know, I, I was doing 10 years ago, uh, which is just bringing in client intake and, and client onboarding into the foray and the forefront. Uh, but really, I, I touch on a lot of different areas of the business. Um, you know, I help with some of our M&A. Um, I believe you had Shabam on, on your show recently. Yes. Um, who uh, who is doing a lot of our um, corporate development. And so uh, we're doing different acquisitions and investments. So sometimes I'll, I'll be involved just because I have 10 years of legal tech experience and have built and sold a company in the industry. I know a lot of the people. Um, and, uh, and so I'll kind of help consult and give some advice sometimes on those. Um, sometimes when we're doing new initiatives here at Clio, you know, I'll kind of get brought in as, um, as someone kind of just like a, you know, an advisor to the project. Uh, so that's mostly what I'm doing here at Clio. Um, you know, I step back as, as general manager of Clio Grow, um, just you know, to to be able to spread my time around and, and kind of look at some of the big picture stuff. Uh, th- that was probably about two years ago. Yeah, and you certainly keep very busy because you're now also the, the co-founder, as I mentioned in the intro, and VP of Trio Partnerships at Nucleus. So can you tell us more about Nucleus and your role there? Yeah, so I, I'm super proud of this new project I've been working on ever since I kind of stepped back um, in my full-time capacity at Clio. Um, this is kind of like I would call it uh, uh, education technology and education content hybrid company. So basically, you know, what we're doing is building like really innovative and fun education. Um, mostly we've been focusing on like low income uh, and first generation college students whose, you know, family members never went to college. And so our goal is to kind of help level them up and help them go to college. And really we focus on career driven opportunities. So we do stuff like entrepreneurship classes, financial literacy classes, teach them how to invest and how to use their money properly, as well as, you know, robotics and coding. So those are kind of the main topics we're focusing on right now. Um, And that's been an awesome, awesome experience to kind of work with students and actually have a real life impact on it. Um, And it's been exciting to kind of jump into a different industry and apply what I learned in the legal industry to the education space. Yeah, and the education space is such an exciting space and, and growing at the speed of light as well. And, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, education in, in the metaverse. And actually, I was speaking to uh, some people just yesterday, also from Loyola Law School, who definitely seems super ahead and entrepreneurial. There's, um, yeah, a chap called Charles Liu, who's de- developing uh, meta law in the law for and actually teaching from the metaverse, which is just super cool. So yeah, I'm all for the education system and, and where it's going and changing and, and how that integrates within the law. So I'd also just like to loop back, uh, Michael, because you do have a wealth of experience within legal tech, but also a wealth of experience within legal practice management software companies and legal services. So, you know, what developments do you expect to see in the next six months and maybe as the next 12 months thereafter? Um, I think automation is the biggest thing that's yet to really arrive in legal tech. Uh, I think, you know, the, you know, I see the progression of things of, Hey, here first, you could do things on a computer, 
right? And then we took things on a computer and brought it to cloud, right? And that's what really Clio, um, you know, claim to fame was, you know, one of the first cloud-based practice management platforms. And then we, our next foray was kind of into payment processing, client intake, those kind of like fringe areas outside of the, you know, actual matter management of law. I think the next phase is going to be automation. Um, it's already started happening, but, you know, trigger-based automation and kind of like AI to some extent. Um, I think we've already seen that kind of in the contract management space with, you know, uh, with case techs and a lot of different um, uh, tools out there that'll help you automate like, you know, discovery and, and document drafting and all those things. But I think the automation of tasks within your back office and front office, I think that's the next six or 12 months really where most things are going is I don't have to press a button in order to trigger something to occur. I can have a bunch of workflows built out. And I think that's kind of where legal is heading and it's already started going there. Yeah, and no, I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, AI and automation and where, where, where that leads. And I'm, I'm just curious because obviously, you know, Web3 is here. And, you know, I talk about Web1 very much read, Web2 read, write. And obviously through writing, you had in social media and interactions. And then Web3, you have read, write and own and the sort of decentralization movement. What, what are your thoughts on Web3 and what that may mean for the legal industry, Jealous, just out of interest? Yeah, I think it. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting things that'll come out of that. Um, I think NFTs will eventually play a role in legal services, right? Maybe you know that's even you know how legal services are purchased, for instance, in the, in the form of an NFT. Um, I also think transactions are going to grossly change, right? Um, you know, rather than taking, you know, I know some lawyers that are taking Bitcoin already, right? And so I think that'll kind of change. I think that'll greatly change in like the criminal defense area, frankly, first and foremost, as we know with most budding technology, it tends to be used by some nefarious folks first and then normalized, right? It was no different with the internet and, you know, the black web and, or the dark web and all those things. Um, so obviously that's happened, but um, I am super bullish on, on crypto and, and, and web 3.0. And I think this Ukraine-Russia war has really shown how valuable crypto can be for a country that's kind of in despair and um, banks are shut down and all those things. So I think, um, I think, I think we're still a ways away from it really having a substantial impact on legal. Um, but I do think in the future, you know, especially when you're talking about metaverse, um, you just won't go to a lawyer's office anymore. I think that that time is, is coming to a close, um, especially with Zoom and then in the future with more interactive versions of that. So I'm excited about it. I'm not exactly quite sure what that's going to look like. Maybe you, you, you might have some, some better uh, ideas than I do, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, like you, I'm 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 super excited, and, and I'm bullish on crypto, and I think it's going to be a really exciting chapter for the for the legal industry. So um, yeah, before we we wrap up, Mike, would love to get your sort of pearls of wisdom for for the next generation. Really, what advice would you give to aspiring lawyers or those just starting out in the legal profession? Yeah, I would say first off, take this with a grain of salt because I never went out and practiced law, right? I actually never took the bar. I started um, Law Kick, which then turned into Lexicata in my second year of law school. So uh, my business partner actually dropped out of law school. I, f I finished my law and MBA, um, never practiced. So 
take take this with a grain of salt. But I do come from the perspective of seeing you know thousands of firms start up on my platform and and seeing the good and the bad. I'd say most important thing I would look to do is um, really understand business. I think that's a skill set. I think law is. I wouldn't say easy to learn, but it, it takes experience and, 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 and a lot of research and a lot of time and, and, and hours to get there. I think dedicate yourself to understanding some of the business and technology aspects of law. I think you will be far ahead of the curve. I remember I always talk about this in every intake um, podcast I've done. I just did one um, in the in the UK uh, a couple months ago. And one of the most glaring statistics I always find is that um, if you call a law firm and you leave a voicemail, well, first off, if you call a law firm, like less than half of law firms pick up their phone, right? And then if you leave a voicemail, it takes on average three days or more for most firms to get back to you if they get back to you at all. And I think that's kind of just a glaring statistic towards um, how firms are run. And they're not run like businesses, right? I would never call. Imagine if I called, you know, the, you know, someone to, hey, I want you to come. You know, contractors are kind of the same way if you try to get anything done in your house, right? They never call you back. They're not good business people. But the ones who are good, good business people run sprints around those other ones, right? Again, it's not always about substance. Um, it's about the business aspect. So take a class, um, take, you know, audit some class at your local community college, do some stuff online, like even Harvard, you know, online and Stanford online, they have so many free resources now. It's so easy to learn about business um, for free with just a little time. So I would say that's probably my biggest suggestion is focus on the marketing and sales aspect of your, of, of your career. Even if you're going to another for- firm, chances are you're either going to make partner and need to bring in your own business eventually, or you're going to start your own firm and need to know how to do that. Yeah, I just absolutely agree. And so pleased that you you shared that because I I, I echo that. And I always talk about the importance, uh, you know, being a lawyer is a given, you know, you, you should have that technical skills. It's those business skills. It's that commercial acumen and as an extension of that, you know, networking, you should always be networking and looking at ways to to grow your business and, and, and meet new people in and around the industry and building a personal brand as an extension of marketing. You know, that is your insurance policy and whatever you do, if you choose to be a lawyer and want to pivot into legal tech or whatever you take yourself. Of, you know, your personal brand will carry you through. So, Michael, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show, listening to what you've done and what you've achieved and how you started out and to, to kind of go to, to where you are now is just incredible. So if our listeners, which I'm sure they will, would like to learn more about your approach to business or collaborating with you, what would be the best way for them to contact you? And feel free to shout out any social media or web links. We'll also share them with this episode for you too. Yeah, um, I'm not a huge social media person. In fact, I like deleted, you know, my app on Facebook and Instagram in the last year. Um, But uh, I do have LinkedIn and uh, constantly, you know, uh, frequently connect with new people on LinkedIn. Um, I think my URL might be like backslash Michael E. Chasen, I think, um, E like Evan for my middle name. And then, um, but you could just email me, michael.chasen at clio.com. That's probably the best way to, to get a hold of me if you have any questions or anything like that. Um, but I always love hearing from from lawyers, especially ones who have used our software and know how impactful it's been. It's, it's, it's always great to get those, those kinds of emails. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much once again, Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure, as I say, having you on the show. So from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast for now, wishing you lots of continued success with all of your entrepreneurial pursuits. But for now, over and out. 
This week's review comes from Angeline Manon. Five stars. Great podcast. Every episode's managed to be informative and engaging. Keep up the great work. Angeline, thank you so much from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast for your super kind words and encouragement. Thanks a million. 